Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I want to talk a little bit from the Word of God, and we're going to look at Hebrews 6 in a minute. We live in a world that doesn't really understand what makes a champion. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to investigate. I'm going to use the grand old laptop and, 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 and search online and see what comes up about champions, because my first thought is, is the Hollywood creation of Rocky. You know, the guy probably can't really fight at all. He can't even hardly talk in real life, but in the big screen, it's gorgeous. You know, he's fighting for freedom in the USA, and he's a champion, and he comes from behind to be the winner, and he's probably the best champion there is. You know, and, you know, you see those things, well, maybe, maybe that's really like what Hollywood shows us as a champion. But then I think about sports and, you know, Babe Ruth, the greatest of all time. You know, who can touch the babe, you know, if, you, if you're a serious baseball fan and you get someone talking about Babe Ruth, it's like, oh my goodness, why did I go there? Uh, the conversation just keeps going about all the records the babe put together. And, but, you know, records are made to be broken and Hank Aaron would come along and, and take over some of his records. And, you know, people talk about how great Hank Aaron was and all the things he had to face and do. And he put Atlanta on the map and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, these kind of champions. And then, you know, being from Ohio, you have to think about Pete Rose, even though you probably shouldn't think about a guy like Pete Rose in church. But if there's ever a guy that needed church, it's probably Pete Rose. And, uh, you know, for just being the all-time hitter and all these things. Are, and these are our, are our sports champions who really have done something to create records and gain momentum and, and just achieve something. But when I looked up champion, I found family insurance. And I thought, how does that make you a champion to have insurance? And then, of course, they showed me champion driving school, like the nerd in the little car going slow, following all the rules that is just in your way because they're driving the way you're supposed to be driving. And then, of course, they talk about champion car loans, like you're a champion if you get a used car loan. And I thought, you know, doesn't it just typify it that our world has no idea what a champion is? We look to one to make them a champion, and then 15 minutes of fame later, we kick them out and spit them out and condemn them and move on to the next one. But what really is a champion in this life? And I want to remind you of some things that I know you know, but like the Apostle Paul said, to take the things you know and bring them up, stir them up to active thinking. Don't, don't let them settle down and kind of be a forgotten thing. Let them be something you're dwelling on. And the truth is, We've all probably heard something of this nature. You may be the only Bible some people read. 
that people won't open the Word of God and read it, they'll read you. Your neighbors are, are reading you when you pulled out the driveway and came here. Your, your coworkers read you when you came in Monday with a different attitude because you were in church. The only sermon they'll listen to might be you. Oh, we're going to do our part and invite them to church and try to get them to come here and, and, and work to bring them in, but you might be the only sermon they hear. You might be the only church they ever visit. They'll have a visit, a connection with you, even if they don't make their way here to this house. And I think in a, in a world of confusion, we forget that we shine as lights in the darkness. And that the, the key to really living a champion's life in, in Hebrews 6 is so plain. I want you to look with me in Hebrews 6, starting in verse number 10, and I'll read through verse number 12 in the Word tonight. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed unto His name, in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In Hebrews 6, we see a, a giving of some truth that just really begins with the second and third word in verse 10, God is. You know, this is where a lot of people, things begin to go wrong in their life. Because their idea of what God is, is kind of where the wheels start falling off the bus for them. Because they have all kinds of made up thoughts, all kinds of crazy things. And I wish I could tell you that it was just the people out in the world who were all confused about what God really is. But oftentimes it's believers in the church house who are off on who God is. Look what it says. God is not unrighteous. Let me read that in a way that simplifies it but makes equal sense. God is not unright. Or God is never wrong. I, I love how as things progress in time, they have to change the rules in sports a little bit. Well, we can't let them use this equipment in golf, or we can't let them do this on the football field, or this kind of play has to be ruled out in basketball because it, it'll mess up the game. God's never had to change anything. God never woke up and said, you know, my feelings, my beliefs on this have evolved over time. And so now this will be true, even though previously that was true. God doesn't change. Therefore, when you strike out to live your life for God, you're always moving in the right direction. You're always doing the right thing. 
You never have to start one way and then pull back because something changed. God is the same. God is not unrighteous. He's not unright. When God tells us to love one another, let love be without dissimulation, don't break it up, but rather love other people, he's not wrong there. For it's Romans 1 that tells us it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. You want to see people come to faith in Christ. You want to see your children live for God. You want to watch your grandchildren call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You want to see another generation rise up and worship in the church house. God is not wrong when he tells us to love other people. Because in so loving them, we're drawing them to the love that we responded to in Jesus Christ. God is not wrong. And when we show the goodness of God, we draw other people to him. I love it how we never have to apologize for standing with God in his ways. Oh, if we start following men and political figures and cultural figures and all this, they will change their positions and we'll have to apologize for where we used to stand. But when we stand with God, it never changes. I love it how every time we come to preach the word of God, if we're reading the word of God, we're 100% right. You never have to look at it and go, well, maybe. It's always true. God is not wrong. God is not unright in anything. I believe that one of the challenges a lot of people are facing is that the devil, who really likes to preach the anti-Bible to all of us. And so God says, I am never wrong. I am not unrighteous. And the devil goes, Oh, that's nice. I'm glad you heard that. But what about in this little thing that happened to you? I mean, after all, you got cheated out of a lot of money. What about this thing that happened because it was very unfair what your parents did to you? What about this event in your life where you were disadvantaged because somebody did something? And, and, and the devil likes to get us to think that in some way or another, God didn't do right by us. And, and, and that's the devil working his way in and, and trying to get us to slide away, distance us from our God and, and lose our potential in this life. God is not unright. He is never wrong. I, I think of how things have had to change direction here and there. You know, the, the different countries having different things happening in them and, and how for about a dozen years or so, our troops were in Afghanistan and they had governing this way. And then one fine morning, our troops woke up and they all went home and they, their country just like flipped in a whole nother direction. You go, what kind of life would that be? I mean, one day you're able to go to school. The next day you're not allowed to go to school anymore. One day you're supposed to go vote. Now they don't vote for anybody. And you go, what happened? It all changed. We never have that happen when it comes to God. God is not unrighteous. And look what it says next there. God is not unrighteous to forget. Nothing is lost on him. Nothing you've experienced slipped from his mind. Nothing that's come your way is surprising to him. 
He's on top of it. Not only does he never forglip the script and he's always right, but he, he remembers in our passage specifically, he says that I am mindful of your efforts, that God's mindful of your efforts that you've put forward for him. Now here again, too, the devil likes to tell us that nobody appreciates what you do for the church. Nobody notices how hard you work. Nobody knows how bad you have it. And not only that, nobody cares. And God says, I'm not wrong. And I'm thinking about what you do for me. What a powerful thought. Well, you know, I came early and I did this and I did that. And the preacher didn't mention me. He mentioned this other guy. God saw every bit of it and is thinking about it. God is not unrighteous to forget. But look what it calls us to in our text, because this is where it starts to really get big. God's never wrong. He's not forgetting. He's up on it. He's mindful of. Look what it says in verse 10. Your work and labor of love. Your labor of love. You know, labor is action. It's effort. It's work. It's accomplishment. It's building. It's making. It's doing. Love is, is an interest, a pleasure, an affection. A labor of love. Willing to work to let the love of God be seen by somebody else. Your labor of love. I really believe that if there's one thing that we could lay hold of, it's that when we're doing our labor of love, we're changing the world and being a champion. Well, I'm just a mom. What a foolish statement that is. There's nothing like a mother holding a child to shape the destiny of a soul for God. God above put that soul in your hands. That child that has the breath of God and is a living soul is in your care. That labor of love that a mother shows to a child. That labor of love that we do. You know, I, I like it how one parent said, you know, parenting is a journey. It's going from one room to another, putting away the same toys all day. Some of you know that all too well. If you're a dad, you know the journey is just walking in in the evening and tripping on one of those toys. Hey, it's a labor of love to have your children at church. I think of all the effort that goes in for people to arrive at the church campus. Hey, sometimes it's with, sometimes it's without their cooperation. And you don't have to testify if your kids are sitting here. Don't poke them right now. But hey, it's a labor of love to bring your family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a labor of love to come to church and pray week after week after week for your own children that their hearts will turn to God. It's a labor of love to come into church and say, God, I want to see my grandkids get saved. Wherever in the country they might be, wherever they live, whatever state of affair they're in, you come week after week, your labor of love is you're praying for them. Hey, it's a labor of love to do what we do for God. I look at all that's happening here and I, I see what God is doing, but it only happens because people out of their labor of love are giving to the work of God.
You know, it's, it's not a labor of love to pay your taxes. It's a labor of keeping out of jail. The other day I was walking into the gas station and there was a fellow there and he was using the side of the building. I thought, what's this guy doing? He doesn't look official enough to be an inspector, but he's kind of holding the thing up and it looks like he's doing something. And I realized he had a, he had a lottery ticket up against the wall and he's, he's scratching it off. Now, my mom majored in advanced math in, in college, so I understand statistics from her telling me. I don't understand statistics, I understand from her telling me that really the lottery is a way of giving the state extra money. That's all it is. And so I almost stopped to thank that guy because I'm like, you think gas prices are high now? If that poor guy wasn't doing what he was doing, your gas prices would really be up there. And so I almost stopped and thanked him. Then I thought, would, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus thank a guy for buying a lottery ticket so my taxes would be lower? And then I, I remembered my mother, if it isn't nice, don't say it. And so I thought, that's good advice. Thank you, mom. And uh, so I just walked in. But I thought, you know, it's no labor of love to give away your money in tax. But it is a labor of love to worship the Lord through giving, even during inflationary times. Because it's doing it for God. It's making it happen. We're taking a dollar that, that is perishing, that's losing value, that will accomplish nothing, and we're converting it into something beautiful and heavenly when we bring it into the kingdom of God, and we, we convert that over. It's a labor of love to bring your offerings before the Lord. And God is not unright to forget what you're doing. Hey, God's not unright to forget the effort that you put in to be in church. Now, I'm going to get a little personal here for some people, but you'll appreciate what I'm about to say. I know that a lot of people come to church even when everything at home isn't finished. There's more to be done at home. I swear some people come into church and they pray and they say, Dear Lord, please don't let anyone break in my house and rob it while I'm at church. Because if someone was to break in my house and rob it while I was at church, the police would come in and take pictures. And it would be kind of hard to explain how the robber must have had five or six meals and made all these dirty dishes. And it'd be kind of hard to explain how the robber piled up the dirty laundry by my machines and ransacked everything before he left. And so they pray, dear Lord, please keep my house how it is so I can get back. But wait a minute. It's a labor of love to walk away from the unfinished work at home and bring your family and be in God's church. You're coming and in, in fighting adversity, driving in traffic, not getting your own things done at home to be in the church house because you want to see God do something special. You never know what message you're going to hear the right thing that's going to change your life. You never know when your family will be present at the right moment and something just unbelievable happens in their heart and life because you made that effort happen. Your labor of love is so beautiful with what you do. Now, I think about some people who come to church, and I've been on occasion that guy who comes into church, and I go, you know, I'm really blessed. I jumped out of my car. I didn't have pain in my back. I grab my stuff. I don't have pain in my shoulders. I'm walking around. I can see perfectly clear. And I just go running into church. Here I am, everybody. 
But there's other people. I'm not picking on anybody, and I, I certainly am not mocking anyone. There's some people who can't really walk into church. They sort of are shuffling into church because they're in pain in their body. There's somebody in this room who is in the most pain. Now, if you think it's you, you're probably a hypochondriac. It's someone else, okay? But all kidding aside, there's somebody who made it their labor of love to be in church, even though their body was fighting them. They said, I'm going to be there because God's going to use my presence. An empty seat never prayed for anybody. An empty seat never shot a smile across the room and encouraged somebody. An empty seat never prayed for one of those young kids, even if they were misbehaving. But when my seat's occupied, God can do all that. And somebody came here as their labor of love in a lot of pain in their body because they said, you know what? I'm going to do that. The beautiful thing is God knows it. God knows it. God knows what it took for you to be here. I was thinking about it and laughing about it on my way here. The other day, I'm buying gasoline. And, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm not compassionate or don't have a heart or anything. But a homeless guy comes pedaling into the gas station while I'm pumping my gas. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I don't really have cash on me at the moment. I just started the pump and everything. So, you know, if he asks me for something, I'll probably just uh, not help him right now. Next thing I see is this homeless guy that came on a bike, and I don't even know where he got it from. He shows up with a, a gasoline can. He goes, hey, man, can I get some gas from you? And I'm like, don't tell me now the homeless are not trading in dollars. They're trading in oil. These people are geniuses. We need to follow their advice. But it, it was just so funny. And then I thought, you know, I, I need to joke with, with Brother Ryan and say, I don't really want to totally rob your church, but could I have gas money to get back home, you know? But then I was thinking about it. I have no idea actually how much gas I burn in a day. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. What, what did it cost you in gas to get here? I have no idea. And you have no idea with your car either. Now, some of you probably are like, I have an electric car. It costs me nothing. But really, we don't know what God does. God knows what it took for your kids to be here tonight. God knows what it took for you to be here. God knows what it took for you to write that check you wrote on Sunday. God knows all that it took for you to be involved. Hey, when you stopped in the parking lot and saw a piece of garbage and you just picked it up and carried it to the receptacle and threw it away and nobody saw it, God saw it. Every last action you're taking is recorded and noted by God who is not in the wrong and forgetting your labor of love. That's why he says we desire every one of you, every one of you. You see, the labor of love isn't just for people who are full-time at the church. For example, how many of you work at the church? How many of you work here? Hold up your hand. Quite a few. The truth is, 
everyone works at the church. Some people just work here all day, too. We all have a position in it. And he says, we desire that every one of you show that same diligence. Every one of you have a piece in that. Why? Because that's what champions do. And then he goes on to talk about the promises. He says that not slothful, don't miss this opportunity by doing nothing. I, I think one of the problems we have, and, and, and this is how I see the devil use people, okay? I, I'm just a high schooler, so I'm not ready for it yet. Well, I'm in college, so I'm too busy. Well, I'm a young parent with kids, so it's not for me. Well, I'm a middle-aged person, so it's not for me. And then over here, the older folks go, some of these young people ought to do the work around here. And it's your whole life. God wants us doing what we can do for Him wherever we're at. Whether you're a young person, an old person, or anywhere in between, God has a purpose and a mission for you. And He says, I want you to show that same diligence to full assurance of the hope unto the end, and be not slothful, and inherit the promises. God's paying attention to what you're doing because you're going to reap a reward. There's promises that await you. The scripture says the faithful man is blessed in his deed. Oh, it might be hard and weigh heavy on you not to get your house perfect and still come to church every time. But God said, don't worry about that. I have a promise coming your way. It might be difficult for you to write those checks on Sunday morning and pray as you're putting those tithes in there. God says, I have a promise for you. It might be hard for you to reach out and, and, and try to show the love of Christ to somebody who actually really hurt your feelings, but God says, keep going. I have a promise for you. We can live the victory of the promise. So what really makes a champion? No, it's not what Hollywood shows us in the superstars. What really makes a champion is somebody who lays a hold of their labor of love and just keeps doing it, going for God. I know it might be hard. I know it might be tough. I know things might get lean for you. I know discouragement might hit you. I know times of depression come. I, I know times when it's exciting to come running in the door. And I know there's other times when as the Bible says, it's out of season. It's like nobody wants to do it anymore. But the rewards come when we just keep doing our labor of love for God. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.